Hello and welcome to Daddy Issues. You're throwing up your arms while I do the introduction now. That's how that's how classic this is. I can't do the introduction unless I throw unless I'm on a roller coaster ride. I wanna join you and I'm gonna do it with you from now on. Yeah. Woo! Welcome to Daddy Issues. Woo. <laughs> oh, there's the loop the loop. Whoa. Hello, new listeners, who have come here for a serious discussion about straight out Compton or NWA. <laughs> Uh, welcome to, to, to Daddy Issues, the podcast where we talk about father and son relationships in popular culture. My name is Dominic Archer, and with me, as always, is David Brian. Hi, Dave. Hi, Dom. Nice, nice intro. Thank you. How's the roller coaster for you? Um, not bad. Like, I, I enjoy roller coasters now. I'm willing to surrender to them. Whereas when I was younger, I was very afraid. Um, but now, I, I like living close to danger. Ooh, danger is your middle name. I think, um, yeah, I I love roller coasters unless they go upside down, and th- those I generally have more of a problem with. Is that where you um, draw the line? Yeah, if it it can go steep, it can have a plummet. It can go as high as you want, but the minute we start going upside down, that's where I start to have some uh, some problems with it. <laughs> that's it. I'm getting out. <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll dive just before the loop the loop. And then if, if you aim the right way, you might be able to catch it on the way back. That's yeah, always my plan. Yeah. Time it right. Yeah. Um, this is a very off-the-rails conversation about straight out Compton. roller coaster rails. Yeah, that's very good. That's very go. good. Uh, just uh, quickly before we jump into to straight out Compton, the reason why I have to throw my, uh, my arms up in the air like that is because when I first started doing... Um, like the awful commentary YouTube videos and, and that kind of stuff. And I said to people, oh, what do you think? And uh, my friend from university, Jamie, who you have met. Oh, yeah, I remember Jamie, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, he works for the BBC and, and uh, spent a lot of time on radio and BBC. And he said, you can always tell when somebody is talking with a smile and when they're not. So when you're recording, try and smile your whole way through because it opens your mouth up and you sound more positive and the, it's, it's better to listen to you when the other person is smiling. Whereas if you're just like, yeah, hi, and welcome to Daddy Issues. My name is, you know, you can, you can tell the difference. Um, between That's them. great so advice. I have, I'm gonna, yeah. I'm taking that on from from this yeah. moment forward. So I have to throw my hands up in the air like <laughs> I just don't care in order to get that smile because I'm not just a, a uh, generally. Fun. Yes, because I'm not a very happy person. So I have to pretend <laughs> I'm on Oblivion or something like that at Alton Whee! Towers to yeah yeah to do it. Today we're talking about the movie Straight Out of Compton and the band NWA and specifically the fact that O'Shea Jackson Jr. portrayed his father O'Shea Jackson Sr. better known as Ice Cube that, that's what they call him yeah yeah it's not Ice Cube it's Ice Cube Ice Cube yeah so through that's the whole conversation nice, yeah yeah thank you so uh, we we watched it well, I watched it yesterday. We both watched it yesterday. Yes, I watched it yesterday. Right? Yes. And we've we've both seen it before. I've seen it a, a, a couple of times because it's, it's a great movie. Directed by F. Gary Gray, is that right? That is correct, yeah. yes. Yes. And what are your memories of seeing this movie for the first time? And were you like a fan of NWA or anything before that? Or was this like a, whoa, who are these guys kind of moment? 
Oh, no, I, I knew who NWA were. I was been I was a hip hop fan, and I went to see it with. I went to see it with a friend of mine I worked with who was a hip hop fan, and we used to talk about hip hop all the time. And the third friend who is a a metalhead, a heavy metal guy, and I think he was just curious. But um, yeah, I knew who NWA were because NWA are the infamous band from whatever previous episode we mentioned. Well, I mentioned that my brother had straight out of Compton on CD and my dad found it under his bed and was very perturbed by the track F the police he says yes F the police how do you think because that makes me feel yeah because your father is a police officer famously because he was a policeman yeah not yeah. in Compton or the west coast of uh, the United States in the 1990s but he was in the Metropolitan, so I'm guessing he saw yeah, his fair share yeah. of shit. Um, but yeah, so I, I knew who they were, and I knew some of their hits, but I'd never really delved into their back catalogue. Same with Ice Cube, who I mm. knew primarily, I think, as a movie actor, and then I just knew he happened to also be a rapper, because why would a guy called Ice... Why would the credits say Ice Cube? Oh, that's not his real name. That's like mm. when Dwayne Johnson used to be credited as The Rock in like The Scorpion King and stuff, because... No one knew who Dwayne Johnson was to begin with. Now he can be. Then it transitioned to Dwayne the Rock in quotes Johnson, and now we can just be Dwayne Johnson. Everyone is familiar. Um, but I, I remember being actually really pleasantly surprised about how good the film was. I knew it would be. I knew what the kind of tone was going to be, as well as a biographical thing. But I wasn't really prepared for yeah how quality of a drama it was. Um, so yeah, and I, I really loved it when I saw it at the cinema, and I haven't seen it since then until yesterday, and that's a great amount of time to leave a movie like this because it's it's quite long, it's like two and a half hours long, so a lot of it I'd forgotten, and I could really get invested in the characters and the performances again, and oh, it's powerful in places, it like it's very rousing at places, and you get chills at some of the performance scenes and stuff, and um, yeah, no, I, I really enjoyed it again, and. I had that. I, I cried at the end. Like there was, mm. a, there was a moment earlier on in the movie where I got a bit teary, and then at the end, I there were tears running down my face, which felt really odd because I was watching it on my laptop with headphones on, not on a TV, and which I don't often do. Um, and yeah, to be crying at my computer screen was. I've not experienced that since our uh, episode of Awful Therapy that may never see the light of day but you managed to yeah break me <laughs> quite easily in that one yes you were the batman to my bane in that therapy session it's yeah absolutely yeah uh I which is years in a cave healing from that <laughs> yeah ultimately that's what what bane was all about was uh yeah was was healing batman um yeah i first saw straight out of compton in 2016 so i think it was the year after it came out because yeah. i was living in i was living in hong kong when i saw it and um uh i would just watched it on my laptop on my tiny laptop screen in my in my apartment because one of my friends uh who i'd been teaching with before a year before in in china was very uh, he's an american guy from lived in uh chicago and lived in in new orleans um but he's very much into to hip-hop and stuff so when i left china to go to hong kong um i said to him just get me a playlist of of hip-hop stuff to listen to because all the the hip-hop stuff i listened to was like 10 years out of date by that 
because by that point um i was still listening to like watch the throne or like uh, various jay-z kanye west stuff but i'd become disillusioned with kanye west by this point because he was a crazy person um so uh, this it was through him and this playlist that i like found out about kendrick lamar for the first time and, and j cole and things like that so that was 2015 i guess was when it was like, oh, did you know about all of these people who are the most famous people in the world right now? And I'm like, no, I didn't, actually. <laughs> I didn't know about any of these people. Um, and so that was a really great introduction. And then when he came to Hong Kong to visit, um, he said, oh, did you watch Straight Out of Compton? I'm like, uh, it's not showing in any of the cinemas here. Oh, well, I think I was living in China when it came out, so it definitely wasn't showing in any of the cinemas there. Um, I said, so no, no, I haven't seen it. And I hadn't listened to that much NWA. Um, like, I get, like, similar to what you were saying, I knew the hit songs. Um, but there was one guy at my school growing up who was kind of into NWA. And it was a bit weird that he was into it. You know what I mean? It was kind of like, um, what, why? Why are you into NWA? You're a white guy from rural Somerset. <laughs> um what what is it that you're getting out of it and for him it was a political political thing it was the same reason that i was into punk really it's just that we were coming at it from different angles and that relationship between early hip-hop and punk is very much interlinked especially you look at something like the beastie boys like literally transitioned from like punk to hip-hop in in their own way um so I, I knew the hits and then I watched the movie and I was like, ah, I should really, I think, spend some time to like to get to know them outside of just the cultural context in which everybody knows. Like everyone knows Fuck the Police. Everyone knows Straight Outta Compton. But it, I didn't know anything about Eazy-E. Um, like I was a big, by that point, I was still a big Dr. Dre fan, but I'd never gone back to listen to NWA. At, so I say a Dr. Dre fan. Um, I liked a lot of Dr. Dre songs, but I hadn't ever gone back to listen to NWA at any point. And similar to what you were saying uh, about Ice Cube being an actor, I always remember Ice Cube for the songs, the solo tracks he released, like at the same time as Nelly, like in the early 2000s. Oh, well, I can't remember the name of that song, but it was like a weird sex song he did with a, a duet. It was like a pop. Oh, I can't remember. Nelly did. Are you talking about Nelly or Ice Cube? No, Ice Cube. But it was oh, like, okay. it's getting hot in here, but it wasn't that. It was Ice Cube. Because if, if, <laughs> it, was getting hot in, if it was getting hot in there for Ice Cube, he would have been melting. He'd be melting. Yeah, he doesn't want it to yeah. get hot in anywhere. He does I remember not, Nelly, no. doing a, Nelly doing a collaboration with NSYNC. NSYNC. And uh, it was all filmed at the video was all filmed at the Playboy Mansion, and that was a bit of a guilty pleasure at the time. But I can't remember what it's called now. But um, no, I don't. I don't remember Ice Cube doing anything like that. Like I, I'm trying to think if I really even knew any of his songs around that point. I don't think I did. I think I just knew. Like I said, I knew he was an actor, and he was in movies like Boys in the Hood, and um, he had been in N.W.A. So I'm trying to find this song. Is it, you can do it, put your back into it? Yes, it is, you can do it, put your back into it. Yes, yes. And similarly to what you were saying about having mostly known Ice Cube from, uh, like, movies and stuff like that. For me, I think the thing I knew him most for was, you can do it, put your back into it. <laughs> yeah. Which uh, was not probably the best introduction to Ice Cube and, like, his legacy, but whenever I thought of Ice Cube, it was like, oh, really? This is, you know, we're going to make a movie about him? 
uh, you know, like, what's what's this guy got to contribute? A lot, it turns out. A lot. Yeah. Um, he can do it, and over the course of his career, he has put his back into it. So, uh, fair play, fair play to Ice Cube. Uh, yeah, a movie I a movie I definitely remember watching for the first time straight out of Compton, and I think this is probably the third or fourth time that I've watched it since then. Um, it's a very pertinent movie for today's climate. Like I think they started producing the movie before the Black Lives Matter protest erupted, and obviously, police violence against African Americans, especially, has always been a prominent issue, as we see throughout straight out of Compton. But it seemed to release, like, at the most, the um, the most impactful moment where it could, where we, it allowed a lot of people to look and go, what's happening in America now isn't new, it's part of a legacy of um, continued violence and oppression, uh, and that's one of the things I think we should we can touch on quickly obviously we're not African American we're not even American so how much we can go into these topics you know I'll, I'll just throw them up there for now and you can't not talk about them when you're talking about NWA and straight out content but yeah. um, I think it, it showed for a lot of people that what they were talking about throughout um, throughout the movie and well, throughout their early career, was saying this is what life is like now in 1988 or 1987, and then the early 90s through the Rodney King uh, incident and all of this kind of stuff. This is what life is like for African Americans now. But that was said just as this thing erupted in, in 2015 again and has continued to be said. And then it goes back, I watched an interview with Ice Cube where he was saying 1965, you know, protests against... Uh, police violence on African Americans in Los Angeles. You know, this isn't, um, this isn't a new topic. And what's, what's still striking watching that movie is how shocking it was for people to say that this is something that is happening, you know, at, at that point. It wasn't that their music was... They didn't change the genre of hip-hop so much, or that they revolutionised... They revolutionised the ability to say things right dr dre wasn't the person who invented a hip-hop beat but these were you know these were the first people to publicly say yeah uh, you guys should probably have a look at what's happening because it's it's pretty crazy it's pretty crazy out here yeah uh, and yeah. and not unique to that area it wasn't mm. only happening there but i think i might have watched um the same interview that you do was it with the wall street journal with ice yes. cuban and o'shea jackson yeah. jr yeah yeah where um, yeah, he mentions about the same thing happening in the 60s and then the interviewer says, um, do you think anything has changed since, um, you know, uh, that what happened to NWA in Detroit and yeah, uh, the whole Rodney King thing and the LA riots? And he immediately goes, no. Mm. no. No, it's exactly the same thing is happening. It's just, um, it's, yeah, it's never gone away. And yeah, you're, you were right. I was just looking up the, around 2015, 2016 is when there was a huge spate of, police brutality and killings in America. Mm. There was Ferguson and Baton Rouge. Yeah, yeah. So these things all just seem to... People forget that these things happen. They have a huge blowout, like uh, the LA riots, and then yeah, around that time with Ferguson and everything, and everything has happened since. And it's, the reality of what happens in these communities never changes. It's just 
there's not always a camera pointing in the right place and this doesn't mm. always make the news and it takes people like them to go let's just say what is our truth and the scene in the movie where um, they get their record deal and they're in the studio working with Paul Giamatti and then they just step outside I think Dre steps outside to talk to his baby mama and then the police show up and they all just get accosted by the police for no reason and then that's when then when they go back inside Ice Cube comes into the studio and was like I got some lyrics for this beat and they're all like shit yes this is what this is what we have to do and yeah. then fuck the police is born um that was that for, yeah there are scenes in this film that are so stirring that you kind of sort of thing you like on a real human level you get these kind of in biopics especially because they have such historical significance um you can watch like lincoln or you know braveheart or anything that really happened and it and you get that stirring of pride almost and um real reverence around what people did in the face of adversity mm. and and whatever and this is just as valuable i think and just as brave because these yeah they could um at any time just be killed and you know again we can't really speak with any authority about what it's like to be an african-american and and the kind of uh fear constant fear of authority figures um but yeah just it breaks your heart and the film just like nwa did in the early 90s this film i think brought this kind of reality to the attention of the masses mm. yeah it's kind of where we wanted to go with this episode and i think what it leads leads in from what you were saying there was um slightly different to what we normally do where we talk about father and son relationships in a movie here we have a son portraying his father mm. um, and portraying his father's life and obviously the movie is produced by ice cube and by dr dre and, and um is it uh Tam- tamika right easy's widow as well yes yeah right and One of the things you were saying there, which um, I kind of wanted to bring up, is you were saying about how you know, they go outside, the police um, the police accost them. Uh, there's an African-American police officer there as well. Oh, yeah, and yeah. they kind of like call him a traitor and, and things Sell like out, that. Yeah. yeah. Um, he says you know, he says to them, go back in with your master. And, you know, there's you know, yeah, a, the, lot of, the a lot of tension in that, that moment. Yeah. yeah. And then, yeah, we get the, the next scene where Ice Cube comes out and says, I've written Fuck the Police, let's go and record this amazing song. And then, you know, how true do you think this movie is? And how important do you think it is that it's honest? Because we have, the movie's produced, it's, you know, it's the, the story of N.W.A., produced by the people who were in nwa starring the son of one of the guys from nwa as him do you think it's important that this movie tries to be factually honest and say this is what happened or do you think it's more important that it stays spiritually honest to what happened because from what i did some some reading up about the detroit moment after that because i was like that's crazy like how is that not the most famous thing in the world they perform in detroit the police say we don't want you to play fuck the police and then they do it specifically because they were told not to right they're like you can't silence us you can't censor us then um they perform it and the police fire shots and arrest them or chase them out 
sort of thing. And I did some research about that, and that's not actually exactly how it happened, the way that it's shown. It was not, it, you know, they, they didn't fire a gun, they used firecrackers. And also, from what I read, it seemed that NWA had agreed before the tour, everywhere they were going, they weren't going to do fuck the police anyway. They had agreed with the, the record label or the tour group or something. But when they got to Detroit, the police were such cunts that they said, you know what, fuck it. You know, we agreed we weren't going to do this song, but for you, for the way you've treated us, we're going you know, to break the agreement that we made and we, we're going to do it. And then immediately, as we see in the movie, the police come in and get them. But what we see in the movie isn't actually how it happened. Right. Do you think that's important, that it should be exactly as it happened, considering they're making the movie about themselves? Or do you think considering the topic that they're exploring in the film the fact that it is you know metaphorically their story is more important i think with any uh, historical or biopic kind of thing it, the filmmakers should strive to be as truthful as possible but it's unrealistic to expect that everything that you see on screen to be completely truthful often you'll see at the beginning of a movie it'll say like the following is based on true events, but some things have been changed. And I know at the very end of the credits of Straight Out of Compton, which I only watch because it has kick-ass soundtrack and I want to listen to the song all the way to the end, um, it does say exactly that. Like a lot of what you see is truthful, but some things have been changed for the sake of the story. Um, because, and I think that's important too because it is a movie and it needs to have certain dramatic elements. But you have to just be responsible about what it is you change, especially when the subject is so. Um, volatile and pertinent to to the time so a huge theme i think obviously in spirit of compton is the police and i think they i'm trying to decide whether the changes that you've pointed out that they made were responsible to the themes and to the story because you you need to be able to see both sides of it and obviously they have the absolute right to be truthful and it was t really valuable that they were truthful and they used their voice and brought their reality to the attention of America. But at the same time, you, you, like, you can understand the police being afraid of what people might do in response to this. Um, so I think the film does... Um, the film, the film does I thought, a decent is it, is job... It Sorry, yeah, sorry to interrupt you very quickly. Yeah, the film, the, one of the things I thought was interesting was that the film shows police violence and it's like, we're just standing on this street corner. You can't come and just arrest us for standing on the street corner. And then the next scene, they're in a hotel room and they come out with shotguns and assault rifles and stuff. And it's like, and then, you know, his his brother gets gets killed while they're out on tour. and a ver uh, Sorry, Dr. Dre's brother is killed while they're out on tour. It's a very emotional moment where he's on the phone, you know, and he sits down. It's like, it's my fault. If he'd been with us, you know, he, he would have been safe. Like they're but it does... completely... <laughs> yeah, 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 while they're, yeah, yeah, while they're bringing out their shotguns and, and stuff. But it doesn't... It doesn't... Well, I guess it couldn't because it's a movie about NWA. But it doesn't say, these are just nice young boys trying to speak truth to power. Meanwhile, the police are, you know, are harassing them on, you know, in an, a way that isn't warranted. Like, 
there's a couple of times in this movie that they should be arrested. Like at the beginning when Easy is being the opening scene, Easy is being chased by by the police. Yeah, like, that's a great scene. Yeah, it is a great scene. Like he is, he should get arrested for what he's doing. <laughs> you know? Yeah, he this is, is the breaking tricky, the law. This is the tricky know? thing because there's such a massive conversation around communities like this and the way people turn to crime mm-hmm. and how much responsibility is on them as people and how much is on the government and uh, yeah. the weight of history which again i don't feel particularly qualified to talk about but they you're right they don't shy away from the criminal activity that each of them was involved with no and like even, even when the, even... there's a, the, a bit later on where ice cube breaks away from nwa and goes to a different uh goes to the priority records and makes a deal with them and then when they kind of screw him over out of his money we kind of meant to be on his side and i think there is something to say a little bit about a bit of skewed bias towards ice cube in this movie but um when he comes back into that record producer's office and smashes the shit out of it with a baseball bat it's like yeah he's kind of been wronged and he's a bit disappointed but that's still like anti-social behavior mm. like we and like, the music kind of, in that the music in that moment makes it seem like a, a scary moment it as is well. no exactly yeah, yeah. like yeah. Um, it's you 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 kind of i was kind of split between he's in righteously indignant like he's he trusted some people who have not followed through on their end of something but then he's responded like a criminal like mm-hmm. um with with aggression and violence which which is not acceptable behavior but again you kind of have to, you feel like you're sympathetic between because he's the kind of the protagonist one of the protagonists of the movie you want to feel justified in supporting him in that behavior but you kind of shouldn't be but so it's a real murky kind of area and you're right the way they the, the resp- i think it's quite responsible the way they they frame that scene is it's scary it's mm. not like a thumping like kick-ass hip-hop beat it's yeah, kind here of he goes yeah yeah he's yeah. like taking it to the man it's it's more the music is the score is putting you in the place of the the record producer or whatever he is record manager where he's like fearing for his life and that actor does a really great job of being mm. shit scared like he's kind of mates with this guy that you know they had an agreement that he's been helping him out but at the end of the day they don't come from the same place and mm. this is the probably the scariest thing that this a white record producer has ever seen whereas ice cube comes from a place when this is just how you send a message mm-hmm. and yeah that's so, made very clear throughout the movie as well isn't it? that even the opening where the uh just after the easy bit where it goes through compton and it shows you the world of Compton, and there's like there's kids on there uh, on the scrambling bikes, and then uh, yeah, and just it it paints the picture of the world that is very different to the world that the the record producer and and Jerry Haller and the, these kind of people you know they they live in yeah it's not just uh, different parts of the city it's you know it is different realities for both mm-hmm. of them, and I think that's one of the things just looking at fuck the police quickly one of the reasons why that song was so difficult to digest and still is for people like your dad is we see in that movie ice cube um being interviewed after the detroit bit ice cube is interviewed like you know why did you why did you do it and he says because that's our world that we live in right what way i think he says what world when you wake up in the morning you know what world do you wake up into because this is our world 
But when you listen to the song and you listen to what he's writing, he's not just saying it's really difficult being an African-American man because the police, you know, are unfair and they treat us abhorrently and we have to do something about it. Um, it's like we can go toe-to-toe in the middle of a cell, right? It's like, it's not yeah. just... It's not just going to swarm on any motherfucker in a blue uniform. Yeah, yeah. It's yeah, like, right. I'm going to kill you. Right, it's not just fuck the police. It's if you're a police officer, fuck you, and I'm going to kill you. It's like, I can see why, you know, why people would get, you know, a little bit uppity <laughs> about, yeah. about that being about, I think played. it's just about fear, isn't it? It's about... Because these areas are a minority area, so the majority yeah. of, like... Of whatever area of California that is, and LA and stuff, there, the majority of people don't live in these places. So what they're afraid of is that that reality, which there's kind of out of sight, out of mind. They know it goes on, but it doesn't happen on their doorstep, so they just mm-hmm. try to ignore it. They don't want that bleeding into their nice, quiet suburbs or you know their their cities. And same goes for the for the America as a whole. So yeah, it's just a matter of self preservation and i think a lot for a lot especially like white affluent people being afraid of not being able to handle that world they Mm. couldn't they i think they know they can't they couldn't live there and they're Mm. glad that they don't and all the last thing they want is for perhaps um this kind of music to influence people who live in their neighborhoods and then them to take on that kind of behavior and or just see it bleed out because it's yeah it's it's a scary song. Mm. Yeah. I mean, I, yeah. I guess we can, yeah, we it's... can, the perspective that we can talk about it from is of comparatively affluent white people. Mm-hmm. And I mean, it's, I don't think it, um, there are certain areas of London, which may be comparable to Compton, which you and I have no idea about, but we mm-hmm. wouldn't go there. <laughs> mm-hmm. Like, like that would be terrifying. I, I Trent took a trip to Atlanta a few years ago and it very naively just started wandering through certain neighborhoods, which I probably would have been advised against if I had taken the time to bother to ask anybody. And I didn't actually feel under threat ever. Like I've been influenced by films and things that show these kind of communities as being scary and mm-hmm. people are very aggressive or and stuff, but that didn't happen to me at all, even though these were recognizable, um, you know, kind of habitats from those kind of places so it wasn't until i got i walked straight through and got to the center of atlanta where it's all skyscrapers and museums and restaurants that i thought back and was like oh man like maybe like maybe i was really lucky there or have i been influenced by the news and movies to think that that was a dangerous place to be when actually it's just people going about their day-to-day and they don't have a lot of money and you know they do what they got to do but they don't give a shit about me just because i'm Mm. a different color or yeah. from a different place. Yeah. Well, even and uh, even straight out Compton plays up that as well, doesn't it? To like to show where they've come from. It's like we get the scene with Ice Cube uh, on the bus at the beginning, where the guy the guy comes onto the school bus, and Crenshaw um, Mafia guy, yeah, 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 and it just it instantly, you know, it almost hijacks the school bus and just threatens people that were throwing gang signs out the window. Um, and it's saying, you know, this isn't just an, another place to live. This is, yeah, this is this is something else. Um, but yeah, it's, it does a good job of painting. I think painting the reality, well, painting a reality of what of what that was like. Well, obviously, with O'Shea Jackson Jr. 
portraying his father, who was also producing the movie. And you said uh, earlier on, um, you think the movie may, has a favourable way of, of looking on Ice Cube. Yeah, what what do you think of that? What do you think that is? Or how do you see that in O'Shea Jackson Jr.? Um, I think a certain element of it is to do with the casting of him. And I know we'll probably go into it in more detail that it wasn't just a, hey, son, I'm making a move about me. I'm going to, you're going to play me. And that's the end of it. Like it was rigorous and you really had to prove that he could do it. Um, but I'm not sure. I don't, I don't really know why I get that, the, the sense of that, because a lot of the time, like I said about that scene in the, in priority records, like he um, is, he has every right to be aggrieved. And he has every right to, to leave NWA because Easy e and, and Jerry aren't giving him a fair shake and are kind of giving him the runaround. And it turns out that he's right. Later on, Dr. Dre goes into it in more detail. He realizes that he's been screwed over by by the money people. Um, so I don't know, maybe, maybe I can retract that. Maybe it's just Ice Cube is, is wronged, goes off on his own does everything the right way even when it comes to like the diss tracks and no vaseline and stuff like he didn't take the first swing like he decided to leave because he had every right to leave and then nwa wrote a song dissing him like he didn't ask for that that's not fair but he's not going to sit down and take it and then it just starts this kind of war of words um what was the question <laughs> well it was how how to how is the movie favorable to to oh, him yeah, that to way it. yeah and i think yeah. i think it you know i i agree with what you're saying but there i do think there is a part of it especially to to dr dre and uh and uh to ice cube where it's like mc ren and and dj yeller are like hardly Background in the movie yeah there's like there's five members of nwa and two of them we barely you know but we barely get to see um and I think Ice Cube is, is the best example of that because he, O'Shea Jackson Jr. is great in this movie. Uh, he does an awesome, awesome job of portraying Ice Cube, you know, albeit portraying his, his dad. Like, the, the mannerisms, the... You know, when, when they're performing, the whole thing comes alive. Um, I can't imagine them casting anybody else in in that role like even just forgetting that they're related he's amazing in in that role and if i was to go and play my dad in a movie i like i don't i wouldn't be able to do the same job just because we're related you know like um i think he he is great but the movie is like in these rough compton streets there's this poet and not only is he the best poet in Compton but also when he gets wronged he's not afraid to you know to speak his mind and to he'll always stand up for himself and when he's wronged you know it doesn't matter if it's the money men or the record people he, he's not going to stick around and then when he says to Dr. Dre you know you're being messed around Dr. Dre right you know that they're stealing your money Dr. Dre has that bit where he says I've got to look after my mum now that my brother died and I've got to look after my ex-wife and my baby. And it's like this whole thing is... Um, uh, they are shown in a, the most favourable light 
that they could be shown in, right? We, we For example, there's no moment where we see about Dr. Dre uh, and domestic abuse allegations or anything like that, right? Like, that, yeah. that's, or clearly, that's not in the movie. But even, it's kind of a, quite a blatant kind of paint over. Where that scene we talked about with the police um, uh, getting them all to, you know, pinning them all to the ground outside the record studio, Dre goes outside to talk to his girlfriend or whatever, the mother of his child, and she mentions about, like, other women that he's been sleeping with, and he just tells her she's crazy yeah, yeah so yeah there is a there's an opportunity to give her a reason to want to leave and there isn't really one she's just like well i'm i'm bored of sleeping on your auntie's couch and it's like but well, yeah but he's in a recording studio with a, yeah right now yeah with a yeah. legitimate producer you have to assume money's coming shortly but she's like no i'm off and but then you talked before about the well i use the word responsibility of how truthful this is, uh, how truthful you need to be in making a movie about real life people. But then you also have to service a story and an, and an arc and the drama. That's a great opportunity to show that Dre is a flawed character too. Mm-hmm. Cause you're right. He doesn't do anything wrong. He, he like pursues none of his them dreams do, really. Yeah. Well, he, yeah, he pursues his dreams, even though his mum tells him to, you know, get a real job or go to school, whatever. He's like, no, I'm going to be a great, producer and a dj and that's what i'm going to do and he does and he looks out for his little brother even in the time you know he feels guilty for not bringing him along and that's he takes responsibility for his death but like he sees his brother getting into trouble outside a club and he's straight in to defend him so he's kind of seen as a a bit of a white knight's kind of character and you also feel bad for him because he gets suckered into the contract thing that again and you said about ice cube being painted favorably like he's the only one smart enough to go should i not have a lawyer look over this contract first and everyone else just goes oh yeah i'll take that check jerry thanks very much even though he's the youngest of the lot of them that it may that part may be true but you know there's there's not an awful lot of arc and development in the characters um, no because except they, for you're they just, right they just keep yeah. doing the right well, they eventually all just keep doing the right thing. Like Dre does eventually go, this contract is bullshit, I'm gone. And when he gets into the, a unsavory situation with Suge Knight, he goes, I can't do this anymore, I'm out. And Suge Knight tries to hold him, uh, you know, sort of uh, hostage with all of the, the masters and, you know, all the money, the royalties. And he's like, take it. I'm the bigger man and I'm going to go out on my own and turn to camera, aftermath, and then walk out. Boom! Now he's a billionaire. Remember yeah. that in the end credits. Yeah, they put it in the end credits as well. Yeah, I mean, yeah, that's a, that was a bit heavy handed. It, it is. I think one of the problems with this movie, which is what I was saying to you before about the truth and like the metaphorical truth of the movie, is that the truth that the movie shows about African Americans in the late eighties, early nineties, and their relationship with the police comes across very strongly right whether or not those events happened exactly as they did doesn't matter for the movie right the point is this is the world that they were living in whether it literally happened as it said is not as important as the fact that these kind of things did happen daily and you know these are events that took place like the thing in detroit did happen not exactly as they show in the movie but it did happen and that's important and telling that truth is important but the movie does also shine a more favourable light. And I think a good example, probably, is the, the accusations of anti-Semitism that 
the come up and ice cube uh does the diss track against nwa and against jerry the manager and says some anti-semitic stuff in the rap and so what jerry does is turn around and go i'm gonna sue him and again creating this anti-semitic character that's all about the money kind of thing and this this yeah, came across i'm gonna call my friends at the jda yeah 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 it's just kind of a bit of a weird stereotype yeah and again like that's not to say it didn't happen but again it's quite prominent this week because of did you see the thing on women's hour the bbc news show no now, on bbc radio they have a show called women's hour and one of the 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 shows this week was about the history of me too the me too movement um and uh one of the guests was uh was a, a black british woman who before supported uh, supported the words of Reggie Yates, who was a famous guy on BBC, an, an African uh, uh, an Afro British uh, presenter. Yeah, Reggie yeah. Yates. Yeah, yeah I know Reggie yeah. Yates. Yeah, and a few years ago, he got in trouble for saying um, he really likes the new generation of grime music and uh, hip hop within uh, within the UK that's growing. Because now uh, people are managing themselves. People can make the music at home and they're not relying on some, uh, some old Jewish white guy to produce their music for them like that. And Reggie Yates got in trouble for being anti-Semitic in that and saying, you know, you know for, for making that comment. And then this woman who was going to be on Women's Hour supported him and got in trouble for that. And so this idea of um, black recording artists being managed by jewish people and then some kind of racial anti-semitic tension between those two things like it's touched on in nwa and it was touched on in reality like oh this week this very week and uh, the movie seems to push aside those accusations of anti-semitism by just going yeah he doesn't really care about jewish people that's not even a thing Right in the in that moment, yeah. Because Jerry Jerry says, "Oh, I can't believe you're not more angry about this." And then the other guys in NWA are like, "It's a diss track, Jerry. Get over yourself." And it's like, "Oh well, I guess that's the end of this discussion about anti-Semitism. Let's get back to Jerry being the bad guy." And it's kind of strange that, but also I get in in a way maybe it's even that it's being honest in that way. You know, where it's like, these guys, like Ice Cube was anti-Semitic on that track, but they don't actually care. <laughs> right? I don't know like, if I'm, uh, yeah, I don't, but I don't know if I'm being um, naive about this, but I, I wasn't, I didn't know why it was so anti-Semitic. Because I, I just listened to No Vaseline while I was setting up for this. And he says, he just mentions a Jew. He says, I wouldn't let a Jew break up my crew. And then later on, he says about... Um, well, that's that's the anti-Semitic bit right there, isn't it? With a white Jew telling you what to do. It's like, well, yes. what is he? He's not... He, if, if Jerry Heller is a white Jew, why is just mentioning a white Jew... Like, why is that if, anti-Semitic? Because if he, if he said Jerry Heller, then it's not anti-Semitic, right? If he's done it by he, name. Sure. But then all of the... There's so many... There's so many, like... 
homophobic and other kind of lyrics well, in this. Exactly, exactly. That, which like is that. aimed directly at the members of NWA. And yeah. in the movie, which again, we don't know how realistic this is, but in the movie, they're all sat listening in Jerry's house, listening to the track. And they're all just kind of sitting there, kind of stewing a bit. And um, they're getting their feelings hurt, <laughs> you can see. And Jerry's sort of look, pacing around. And it's not until they get to the line about a white Jew breaking up my crew that Jerry stops the thing and then he starts fuming. It's like it make, he makes it all about him just because he got called out on the diss track. And, you know, Yeller is like, I think it's kind of funny. And Easy's just like, it's just a track. And only MC Ren seems to be pissed off about it amongst the actual members. But, yeah, I, I, again, maybe it's just naivety on my part. But the... The mere fact... Okay, uh, just, uh, I'll try and imagine if, say... Let's say... Imagine that NWA Jeremy were... Corbyn... Imagine that Jeremy Corbyn had said it. Yeah, but that's... Think that's... about how absolutely insane. Because you you can't leave the anti-Semitism in the context of, oh, it's just a rap song. No, but... Right? Again, I think, I think my only... Uh, the way I'm misunderstanding this, I think, is that for a black man to reference a white Jewish man by calling him a white Jew. That is the extent of the anti-Semitism in the lyrics. So I'm mm-hmm. just trying to, I'm trying to align it in my head by going, okay, what if, what if um, Ice Cube and NWA were, were a separate group and they were all white people? And what if their manager was a black guy and mm-hmm. the white rapper who broke out from the group then goes, Hey, all my old bandmates, you're all gay and uh you're all gonna get you know killed and but and uh, a black guy broke us up it's like is that does that sound bad to everybody well i think p- potentially you would have people being up being upset about it but also it's it's interesting to see how the times have changed between what's allowed because last night uh with my family we also watched bill and ted's excellent adventure excellent <laughs> Before Straight Out Compton. Yeah, which is another movie we're definitely going to come back to. But now there is famously the scene in that where they hug each other and uh, and call each other fag at the same time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. right? And that scene now, uh, like Alex Winter and Keanu Reeves both had to apologise for that scene before uh, before the new one. Because it kept coming up in interviews. Like, uh, you know, you, you used a homophobic uh, slur back then. And again, like you're saying with No Vaseline, there's a reason the song's called No Vaseline. Yeah, and it's not anything to do with the, the white Jewish man. It's about no. everything else. Yes. And you couldn't make that song now because, well, maybe you could, um, but it would be absolutely shouted down for what was acceptable. Yeah, did you see the interview where they, um, someone asked uh, Ice Cube about that feud in comparison to the feud between, is it Meek Mill and Drake? Yeah. You all know more about this because I'm well out of touch with modern day hip-hop that's, that's a fairly old school one but yeah yeah is it fairly old school well that's how out of date i am yeah. um yeah that feud ice cube describes as being fairly friendly and you know it's kind of amusing and you know but at the time of the interview was like, i think jake's uh, drake who the hell's jake i think um drake is winning at this point and he just goes on to say about like a feud is fine as long as it's it stays in the music it stays in the songs it can be fun it can be entertaining it's only when these things spill onto the streets that it becomes a problem. This is the first movie that uh, I can think of where 
we do actually see a son playing his father. I can't think of of another one. There's um, only one that I've been able to find. Oh, not find. I knew about it because it's only uh, 2019. Shia LaBeouf wrote a movie about his childhood and his relationship with his dad. Um, and he played his dad in that movie. Um, so, and that's called that film Honey Boy. I really want to see, and I think we should properly talk about it and on an episode of its own. But yeah, other than that, I've couldn't find any other instance of this happening. Yeah, I think that should probably be our episode for next week. Is to compare these two, in uh, yeah, in in how the, these two sons portray their fathers, um, because I think. Um, the Shia LaBeouf one is much more likely to be critical of his dad, who was not a great father figure growing up. But from what I've seen from interviews between Ice Cube and O'Shea Jackson Jr., like they seem like best friends. Yeah. Really, watching them, they they like they clearly there's a, a lot of love going on between them. Like, what did you what did you get from interviews of them together when they're talking about how they approached this in the movie? I agree. They do seem to have a very tight um, kind of familial connection. And when they were, they um, O'Shea Jackson Jr. was talking about the casting process and how this was his first feature movie. And it took him two years of like acting training and, and callbacks to auditions. And um, they, they had like um, a few different front runners for each role and they needed to test them all with each other to check out the chemistry between the actors because it wasn't just about finding the right person to play each member. They all had to feel like NWA, the actors too. So it wasn't a simple process. Um, but I saw a very interesting interview with Lil Eazy-E, Eric Wright Jr., son of Eazy-E, who went up for the role of Eazy-E. So this film could have potentially had two sons playing their real-life fathers. Um, in the end... Uh, Eric Wright Jr. had a couple of callbacks, but Dre and Ice Cube thought they needed someone a bit more polished to play such an emotionally fraught role. And I think um, that particularly they asked, after Gary Gray asked him, Kent, do you think you can pull off this, the ending? Do you think you yeah. can sit in the bed and be told this news and carry that? And I think um, Lil Easy now, uh, or at least in the interview that I saw, could be like fair enough i've never acted before i'm not an actor um you know ice cube wasn't an actor in boys in the hood but he wasn't playing such a difficult role it was quite close to home and you know he, he intimated that because o'shea jackson jr is the son of ice cube the time and the money and the training could be put into making him right for the role um and i don't think he's he's too <laughs> he's too upset about it but the end result is is great. Like you say, O'Shea Jackson Jr. does a brilliant job. And in um, another interview I saw, um, what he had to bring to the auditioning process was evidence that the 20 years of practice he's had, or 20 years of research that he's been doing in being Ice Cube's son, he, can, he has the skill to put that into his performance. You said earlier about, you're not sure you could play your dad in a movie. Yeah, we've known our dads for the best part of 30 years, but that doesn't necessarily mean we'd be able to portray them well. Um, which, yeah, I think um, O'Shea Jackson does. And there seems like the family, going back to your question, there seems like the family 
is a very positive one. Um, there's even uh, even a bit in Straight Out of Compton actually where uh, towards the beginning, Ice Cube goes to um, the house that Dr. Dre is staying in, his auntie's house, and they sort of hang out in this room. And, de- and um, Dr. Dre is spinning some records and scratching, and they're talking about music and stuff. And then Ice Cube goes to leave um, to go home, and the police are outside harassing black people for no discernible reason, and obviously being very overly aggressive and abusive. And um, Ice Cube's parents come out of their house, which is right across the street. And, you know, they're very, it's going to be all right, son. We're fine. We're here. And so that it gives you the impression that um, O'Shea Jackson Sr.'s relationship with his family was probably quite tight and it seemed quite good. And the community seemed quite um, familial and supportive and, and close-knit. Um, in another interview, or maybe it was the same one, the interviewer asks O'Shea Jackson Jr., how do you recreate the fire that your dad had to fuel his artistic endeavors and his drive to succeed in life when he came from, you know, poor, um, a poor background um, in Compton during some of the worst times in recent history for, for African-Americans, whereas you were born and raised into wealth. You probably, mm. you know, I don't know where they live, probably some commu- gated community in the, the hills somewhere in LA and how do you especially in playing your father and in life generally how do you find motivation when you know that this is why your dad got his from and he says that it was it's his family that gives him that fuel he has uh, you know it's his siblings and it's about continuing his dad's legacy of working your ass off to get where you are and working at your craft and not taking any shit for it like just doing your best and i certainly got the sense that their father-son relationship is um is very positive and is is very loving and um i think half tongue-in-cheek one interviewer asked him like what what's ice cube like as a dad like is he harsh or Mm. is he like do whatever you want you're the son of ice cube no strings go fuck around and uh, I think O'Shea Jackson Jr. just smiles and goes, strict but fair. <laughs> Which is kind of what you would hope for from from any kind of upbringing, I, I, would, I would think. Um, but, um, but no, I th- yeah, I think uh, the strength of their personal relationship definitely informed and uh, improved his performance in the role. Yeah, just looking, uh, looking at O'Shea Jackson Jr., he went to the same high school that his dad did. Which is interesting. Oh, really? They yeah. they both went to they both went to Taft High School, but Ice Cube was was bust because they had this policy of busing. So you take African Americans from poorer neighborhoods and then put them on a bus to a nicer school a, to a nice yeah yeah to a a, a, a better school I guess um, a better funded school maybe, um, but Ice Cube every day had to take the school bus 40 miles 64 oh. kilometers from his house to the yeah to to the school but uh, obviously his son didn't have to do that because you know they you know they they'd made a change but i think that that's a really still uh, an important point right he he didn't send his son to some private um you know uh 
old boys school with nice uniforms and stuff. His son went to the same high school that he did. Uh, he was just, like, the benefit of the money was he didn't have to take the bus 40 miles each way. And I think it's a really strong opening where we see Ice Cube on the bus waiting to leave. And you see the white students with their cars. He's looking out of the window. The white students are listening to Tears for Fears, I think. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. I didn't pick up yeah. on that. I think it was Everybody Wants to Rule the World or, or something like that they were they were listening to. Um, who are from Bath, Somerset, UK. So, uh, yeah, yeah, I'm not, I'm not going to be, uh, be too, too angry about it. But the the whole point of that was, you know, we, we go to the same school, but we live in different realities. And that's kind of that, that metaphorical truth that we were talking about earlier on, you know, that we see where they might be going to the same school, they might have the same teachers, but the worlds it's it's different worlds it's not just different si- different parts of the city it's it's different worlds and uh, yeah it's it must have been an interesting challenge for for O'Shea Jackson Jr to uh to go to that school and not take the bus back like his dad did because he would have seen other students doing the same thing right he would have seen like uh, those students that were still being bussed when he was going there you know um would have been you know, would have still been at the school, so yeah, I think it's a really good movie. That it's a great movie that's fraught with possible, um, with possible problems, and like especially around like uh, issues of truth and um, portrayal, like portrayals of the characters and the fact that it's produced by them. But ultimately, you know, it is a great movie that says a lot, and um, yeah. Yeah. What what do you think you have to bring into the movie, if anything, to 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 get everything out from it? Like from a critical point, what would you say to someone? But before you watch Straight Out of Compton, you should probably know that. Um, the only thing I remember thinking about as I was watching it that isn't explicitly explained, um. In, in the context of the movie, this, it just hopes that you understand it, is uh, the Crips and the Bloods. Yeah, right. You see um, certain gang members with either a red or a blue handkerchief, and um, Suge Knight and all his dudes are always wearing red. Um, and I don't think they mention it in the movie, but um, MC Ren and Easy were both okay. part of a, a right, chapter right. of the of the Crips. Um. So they don't ever really explain that properly, but there's a very poignant moment um, in the part of the movie where the LA riots are happening and we see the different uh, main characters sort of driving through the streets and you hear sort of uh, news reports in voiceover about how it's like a war zone and it looks like a war zone. It's pretty terrifying. And there's a moment where two um, young black men, um, one carrying a blue handkerchief and one carrying a red handkerchief that have been tied together, walk up to a line of police side by side. Um, the police obviously in all their riot gear, there's cars on fire in the background. And that is was a really powerful moment uh, to me watching that, knowing what that means. But they never really explain that. And I'm guessing a lot of American audiences wouldn't need that explaining to them. But globally, I wondered if anyone else would <laughs> would have really got that. But yeah that was that that added a whole um a whole a whole great deal more weight to what was going on 
at that time. Yeah, yeah. I think you can definitely watch the movie without knowing the specifics of, you know, of their lives, of who they are, um, of Los Angeles and stuff at that time. But there are certain things that, like, um, when Snoop Dogg turns up, you're like, uh, if you didn't know who Snoop Dogg was, you kind of like, who was this and why are we wasting time with this character? Oh, and yeah. Tupac is uh, Tupac's in the recording studio. And it's like, oh, we're going to play a little bit of California Love just to tease, you know, this is what's going on at, at, at this point. Um, like, if you didn't know who, who Tupac was or the importance of Tupac, then... Yeah. Uh, and the relationship yeah. with Suge Knight that would yeah, happen later yeah, on. Yeah, like... Um, Suge Knight, I think, was famous around the time this movie came out because he was sent to prison around the, the time that this came out. Yeah, right? yeah. Like, just coincidentally, he was still being, uh, you know, not a great dude. <laughs> yeah, it seems... The guy, the actor who plays Suge Knight in this movie is amazing. Like, he's yeah. so intense. Yeah. It's really, really great. Before. And if, if you look at the pictures of them too, the two of them side by side, it's really great casting too. Like, he really... He really nails it. But... And there's all... There's... the. I don't know if you could call it a conspiracy, but it's it's uh, purported that Suge Knight could be involved in some <laughs> degree with the death of um, Tupac, the assassination of yeah. Tupac, and with Biggie as well. Um, and so Princess a, Diana. <laughs> Princess Diana and... <laughs> JFK. Uh, JFK, Martin Luther King. He was there for all them all, yeah. <laughs> Suge, Knight. Suge Knight. She was the people's princess, Suge Knight. <laughs> Son of a bitch, um, yeah, shady dude, very sh- and like in terrifying that bit where um, someone parks in his spot, and the guy who's parks in his spot is instantly crapping his pants because after he realizes what he's done, and yeah, just Dre. That's a moment where Dre starts to realize this dude is not really someone to you want to be spending time around. But um, yeah, I thought it was really interesting what you were saying earlier, actually, about how the the characters don't have an arc. Because they're shown as being good guys with a strong set of values. And then we see them stick to those strong sets of values. The arc really is, now by the end of it, I'm a billionaire. That's pretty much the, the arc of the movie. It's, uh, it's the, we started from the bottom and now we're here thing. And that's the story arc. The characters themselves don't go through much of a change. Except for Easy e I think he's yes. the only one who actually goes on a, a big journey but um, his journey is almost entirely negative but yeah. we, we'll, we'll come back we'll come back to that in, in a in a moment but what they, it does instead is like miniature arcs right mm. they'll they'll go through small story arcs throughout and it's the problem because it's obviously it's a, a biopic a biopic um we it's not like they're suddenly going to you know become the hero who destroys the death star Right, like this is this is the the story of their lives. It's not. It doesn't just serve a narrative function. It also has, you know, it, they can't just come to some resolution by the end of the movie. But instead, we see them go on little bits where it's like um, Doctor Dre, for example, where uh, he knows he's being screwed over by Jerry, but he can't leave the way that Ice Cube did because he's got responsibilities. So he has to stay there. But eventually, enough is enough. So he stands up for himself and he leaves. And he joins Suge Knight. But then he realises that Suge Knight is even worse than, than Jerry was. And so he learns to stand up for himself. And when he Suge Knight beats the guy up in the car, he's just like, whoa, Suge Knight, what are you doing? You know, stop being so crazy. But then when Tupac's in the recording studio, when Suge Knight's got, I think it's probably the same guy from the parking spot, it's like acting as like a dog on the floor. 
Um, well, that was um, I don't know who that was supposed to be, but that's like a weird. We they touch on the whole East Coast West Coast thing right as Tupac yes, shows up. Yeah, yeah. Um, they make some dude in his pants raise a toast to the West Coast um, reigning forever, which yeah, you assume yeah. is because he's an East Coast guy and he's come to the wrong party. Yeah, and uh, but again, that's when Dr. Dre learns he's going to have to stand up for himself and do things his own way. And he has that same arc about three times in the movie. Um, whereas I think for Ice Cube, it's, it's pretty much the same, the same arc. They have these miniature ones where they go through life having to learn to make these decisions to trust in themselves throughout. Whereas Easy e I said it was a negative arc, but he starts off a selfish drug dealer and then becomes a selfish rapper. And his ne- he's manipulated into a lot of the things, or we're shown that he's manipulated into a lot of the things that he does. And the fame, I don't think the fame goes to his head because he's, he doesn't change. He's still no, the same guy. Same, that, as always, same way he's always yeah, been, yeah. Yeah, but it's just, it's like... Uh, it's kind of like a rise and fall, but mostly a fall for Eazy-E. Because... Yeah, I, th- I think they kind of use the Eazy-E's story to offset the stories of the other two main ones. Mm. You said earlier there are five of them, but no one cares about Yeller and Ren for some reason, so we only ever focus around the three main guys. Um, so yeah, you've explained what happens with Cube and with, with Dre, but then Eazy-E's kind of... His tragedy is kind of what brings the story to... A conclusion yeah and there you kind of you end up feeling sorry for him by the end and yeah the scene where he's in hospital i just i was gone i was it wrecked me it was awful oh well it was amazing the performance yeah, yeah. and the, the drama of it amazing and but yeah it just completely shook me um but it's kind of through that that it's almost like a, a full stop on nwa because they're trying, they they have a bit of reconciliation where he goes to see Ice Cube, and since about halfway through the movie, Cube's been fine. <laughs> Ever since that, he smashed up that um, guy's office. You know, he's fine. He's doing well. He's on his own. Yeah, he's writing his he's writing his movie script and laughing to himself about Friday, how funny yeah. it is. Yeah, it's it's so weird. And the he's family writing a movie and saying about how good it is in the movie is yeah. bizarre. In yeah. a film produced by him, yeah, that yeah, bit was yeah. strange. But then the, his whole familial unit seems very positive. Like he's having a nice conversation with his wife. He's saying, "Oh, yeah, I'll just go on a bit more and then I'll stop and we can have family time." And the kids are playing happily in the background, and so it's a real like perfect nuclear family kind of scene so everything is fine with him and dre then dre is at that time going through his ups and downs with jerry and with suge knight and stuff um and meanwhile easy is easy is kind of just dropping his his first a cube leaves him then dr dre leaves him then he starts to get sick and then he starts to lose money um and I re- in that interview i listened to with uh, his son some talking about discrepancies in in truth and in story in biopics no one from around that time uh will uh, remembers easy having to downgrade his house because he was losing money like that is something that they think was fabricated for the sake of the story and which is what because he had loads of 
um, and that, or like the easy ease wet, wet and wild parties a bit where he's talking to Jerry about money and he says and they're talking about it's fine we've got this act we've got this act we've got this act easy would was they they do intimate this in the early in the movie he was a quite an astute business person and that's kind of the reason why they got what they did like he made a deal with Jerry which gave him the record deal which made them grow and grow and grow but he was quite clever in that his uh, his companies they would take people on, make records with them, and then when things started to dip is when he would put out a solo album. And every solo album he put out went platinum and, you know, just brought the company back up. And then he'd sign a couple more guys and, you know, the company would make money through these other acts. And then when things started to take a downturn, you go, all right, well, it's been about a year. It's time to put out a new album on my own. And then that would give, the you know, put money back into the company and stuff. So he was always on top of things. And... His son and his friends who were interviewed by the same guy were all saying, like, I have no recollection of him cutting up weed in the house to sell because he was that desperate and he never moved into a three-bed <laughs> bungalow in the suburbs. Like, that's not true. So that's kind of what I mean by him being used to service the story and increase the drama. And because him, the tragedy of him is just is, is accentuated by that kind of financial downturn as well but it's just a shame that that didn't really happen um but you know it certainly helped the movie if not the his legacy yeah yeah it's it's a tough it's a tough one um and again we have that that same thing again with with jerry heller right where it's the movie is produced by Dr. Dre and Ice Cube, both of whom left NWA because they thought that Jerry Heller was stealing money from them. When they make the movie, they're not likely to give Jerry Heller a um, uh, a chance to say, no, I wasn't stealing from you. I was... No. But they don't paint him as a villain the entire time. Like that no, scene they don't. With, no. the, with the police no. outside. With the, the police where studio, he comes out. He yeah. stands up for them. Like He's, he's yes. great. He's a real champion of them. It's yes. only later on where they kind of start to drop hints that he may not be sound. Yeah, that's very true. Yeah, yeah. His, But again, his negative qualities are that he steals money and he likes money. Which is the Jewish stereotype, you know, and that's yeah. where this this whole thing becomes kind of weird, and and twisted in this way. I think Jerry Heller himself tried to sue, uh, filed a lawsuit against Straight Out of Compton for the portrayal of him within the movie, defamation um, or whatever it's called. Yeah, I don't. But again, could you, you know, that that's the guy that they showed him to be in the movie was the guy who sues everyone. And I'm here then, going, oh, it's anti-Semitic that they, they, they kind of did that. And then he actually tried to sue them for, you know, it's, God, it gets messy. It gets real messy, doesn't it? And yeah. stuff like that. If you go um, Yeah, yeah. And again, just, yeah, a great movie, really, really good movie with the needs a critical examination because you come out of it knowing the truth of their world of their reality but like i think it's like it's like the crown very similar to the crown the, the netflix series about the queen 
where um, an MP, a British MP, came out recently and said, I want Netflix to remind everyone that this is a fictional representation of what happened, that what happens in The Crown isn't fact, because it's making Prince Charles look like a prick. Um, <laughs> and and the Netflix went, no, we're not going to do that. People know that this isn't fact, right? People know that, you know... This isn't exactly what happened. It's a fictional retelling of the story. It's a dramatization of you know of these people, yeah. um, uh, but straight out of Compton, being starring O'Shea Jackson Jr., being produced by these people, it's kind of close to being a semi-documentary in the way that people watch it because the Crown isn't produced by the Queen, <laughs> right? <laughs> it doesn't have it doesn't have the authority of her voice behind it. Um, Whereas this one is like, we're making it, um, my son is playing me in it, this is our lives, is how it was, you know, was how it was shown. Um, and yeah, it's a really interesting movie to look at in that, in that regards. Is there another movie you would like to see uh, that hasn't been made yet, we're in that same vein, with like a son... Uh, portraying their father or something like that that you can imagine oh I don't know it's hard to imagine because something like this O'Shea Jackson Jr. came out of nowhere like Mm -hmm. nobody besides his dad knew that he could pull this off yeah at least in the beginning so like my mind immediately goes to like Jaden Smith like who maybe when he's an adult he might be able to star in a biopic of his own dad if Will Smith's journey ends up being dramatic enough. Uh, I, I don't know. Um, but if it's something that I would like to see, some biopic that I've never seen. I don't know. Have you got any? No, I thought that the Will Smith one is interesting because they already star in movies and stuff together anyway. And Will Smith is somebody who I would love to read an actual autobiography from right where it's like he tells completely the truth because his life gets glitzed over a lot with the you know i'm will smith and i'm a bajillionaire uh hollywood superstar but then there's that interview with with him and his wife with jada pickett smith where they're talking about like infidelity and how their relationship has managed to stay together and stuff it's like a, a, a interview between the two of them and it's like there's some hardcore stuff going on in there and i would love to really find out what his life is like and and what his life has been like but i don't think that jaden smith is the right person to do it with this movie i think o'shea jackson jr is the right person to play ice cube but you look at jaden smith and i'm like yeah but he's still he's still young he's still developing so is he? I'm, to- I'm talking about. He's like, got to be his early mid twenties now. He's early twenties, probably. But I'm thinking like once Jaden Smith is forty, and right. he right. could probably still play late twenties, thirties because you know he's he's got good genes, um, and they want to yeah, do a, a life story Hollywood. of Will Smith, and he can play young Will. He can play Fresh Prince Will Smith all the way up to mm. Ali and Concussion and you know, Seven Pounds and all those kind of serious movies, and mm. then. Yeah, he can go older, but yeah, it's not something that would happen anytime, anytime soon. But then that'd no, be I cool you... if they, if in that Will Smith biopic, Jaden Smith plays Will Smith, but they cover the parts of Will Smith's career where him and Jaden were acting together. Then Jaden is playing his dad while another actor plays him. So it's, you've got like a, 
Imagine maybe he's got his own son at that point and he plays <laughs> Jaden. Oh my god. <laughs> the pursuit of happiness is one that we have to do together oh, at some point. Yeah, okay. Yeah. We should, I, 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 I haven't I, seen it. I've never I seen it. I saw it way back when it came out and it made me cry. Yeah. So that's got to be a, a Daddy Issues uh, episode for sure Definitely. when we have a chance. But yeah, it's difficult. It's difficult to think of in terms of those biopics because who would you want to watch a biopic of as well? Like who in the world now would you really want to see? Would you really want to see one of? Um, and you know, it's yeah, it's difficult to say. Yeah, um, I wonder. Like I'm thinking something that you've that's kind of new in the world and is with social media is having an insight into certain kinds of famous people that when you and I were kids you had no idea what they were really like specifically I'm thinking about uh, athletes and footballers in general and there have been some really great tragic as well stories of footballers from the 80s and 90s you think of like um, Gaza is the first one that comes to mind or um, uh, you know ones that have maybe not quite as dramatic but there are plenty of retired footballers now have really struggled with certain things um, but now we have so much insight into what personalities are behind these these superstars, these multimillionaire footballers. Um, so now it'd be great if they if they if say Gaza did have a son who was an actor to see him play his dad in a biopic would be, yeah, that would be affecting. And I will get into this when we do the Honey Boy episode. But Shia LaBeouf said in writing and perform and. Um, performing as his dad in that movie was the first time he really understood his dad and the first time he ever forgave his dad. Mm. So you can imagine with someone like Gaza that someone like that, I would find it unlikely to think that they were an accomplished parent. You hear plenty of stories of, of people who struggle with addiction, but their families didn't really know about it because they kept, kept their shit together when it came to their families. Um, and it's only when they were alone where they started to spiral um, and, and really struggle. So, yeah, to be able to, to find someone who grew up around a public figure and that was their parent and to be to be able to be honest about what that was like behind closed doors. I think that's where the real value comes in, um, you know, in having a son play there or no, anyone, any child playing their parent is they have a completely unique and Un, um, a completely unique and perspective that can't be recreated by anybody else, and that's what I think that's part of what made Curtis ja- uh, Curtis Jackson. That's fifty cent. Fifty cent. Um, <laughs> that's what. That's what. He, made... he makes a cameo at the end of the movie. That's why you were thinking of it. He does because yeah. Curtis Jackson. Yeah, he's, he's in that and bit. a bunch of other yeah. people. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, that's part of what made Curtis Jackson. O'Shea Jackson. <sighs> Jesus Christ. Don't worry, we have the power of editing. So no, this has, this, has, this is raw. This is truth. This must remain. <laughs> that you think that Fifty Cent might be Ice Cube's son? No, just that that Dave from Daddy Issues keeps calling Ice Cube's son Fifty Cent. Um, <laughs> that O.C. Jackson Jr. can bring brought something that no one else could possibly bring to the role, and it's kind of just fortunate that he is talented as a performer, and and could pull it off because yeah the the preparation couldn't can't be matched yeah yeah that's true and i it, it is to the benefit of this movie that o'shea jackson jr plays o'shea jackson senior for sure 
mm. like yeah if anyone else was playing him the movie it wouldn't be the same he's he is spot on perfect um and yeah a great performer as well really really good a lot of presence a lot of charisma on screen i really want to see the movie with um uh with seth rogan and him in it together long shot yeah, yeah now i've seen it i like is it, it good it was, it was funny yeah and he plays he plays the the funny best friend to seth rogan and yeah he's he's really good and yeah he, he's yeah. in like um i think he's in the latest godzilla movie as like an army guy so he's obviously like trying to try out a few different hats do an action right. thing he's done the kind of drama thing and he's done a comedy thing i'm interested to see where his career goes yeah, I'm really, I really am a fan of him after this, after yeah. that, uh, after this movie as well. All, all of them, they're all great. Like all of the actors in it are, are brilliant. Um, yeah, I, mean, I think oh. especially, sta- I think the standout is the guy who plays Eze. Yes, his name, Jason, Jason Mitchell or whatever his name is. Yes. Yeah, like yeah, he that he has the most acting to do. He does have the most movie, acting, yeah. and his performance is like the undeniable proof that hiring almost like stunt hiring easy's actual son to play easy wouldn't have worked because yeah he has to be the the beating heart and soul of of the movie with that with how it all comes to fruition at the end yeah yeah well let's go on to our final uh, bit of the podcast as we always do which is going to be quite tough this week uh but what do you see in straight out of compton that relates to you and your relationships or your life, your life in general. I actually do have something. Is it and the CD, the CD NWA story? <laughs> yeah, it's because all about it's the, a classic. It's a even classic though I sure. wasn't even there, that was my brother. So yeah. there's not, it didn't take place in the movie, but something that did strike me was in doing some research and looking at interviews. And we, we touched on this is the fact that, O'Shea Jackson Jr. comes from a very different place from where his dad came from and was brought up in a very different way. And um, that certainly... And and the, yeah, the way he was brought up has meant that he's kept his feet on the ground. But where the way I... The way of parallels that I saw there were in that my, my dad now has money. He's had, only had money for a few years because um, he worked his fucking ass off and built a company and, you know, some bigger company went, great job, can we have it? And he was like, yeah. And they were, and then sent, gave him some money. But when we were kids, we didn't have money. And when I was a kid, I had no idea that we didn't have money. I was completely oblivious to the reality, the financial realities of my upbringing. And I think that's... I think that's certainly... Uh, you have to give props to my parents for that because... When I look back on our re- the reality of our lives, as an adult now, I think that must have actually been really difficult. And they were strained and struggled and they took big leaps. Like we moved from like a little village in Surrey to Southampton, kind of on a whim. Uh, maybe that's, that's not doing it, a dis- that's doing it a disservice because actually they felt, they felt drawn here by, uh, in a spiritual sense. They, they knew people from here and there was a very spiritual connection they had with those people and that's what drew us here to the city and I've lived here now for most of my life we moved here when I was nine so we, we went from this kind of quaint village life um, where 
everyone I knew lived on one long street, including us, which also my school was on. And that was kind of like my entire world. Everything I ever did was on one road, <laughs> except for getting in the car to go see grandparents. That was the only time I remember going anywhere. So we went, we went from that to the big city, but that I don't think my parents were ready for that financially. So when so we had uh, we had a fairly humble upbringing, but we certainly didn't want for anything. Uh, I did certainly didn't think so. But then, as an adult, my parents then become more more comfortable. And they want to impart a lot of that onto, uh, you know, pass that down and be like, the plan was always to do this for you. So here's some stuff. And I'm like, I don't want, I don't want your stuff. Like, I'm glad that, I'm glad that they didn't have it when we were kids. Cause I think I would have, I think you learn a lot more about life when you don't have everything. Um, and I'm glad that they got it when they did, because it means that they can live the life that they deserve, but I don't deserve any of that. So I, I, I try to picture, the question I was going to ask you was, let's say um, a biopic is going to be made of your dad and they go, hey, you did some, some high school plays and uh, we saw that short film you made at uni you wanna, <laughs> and you look the most like your dad. So do you want to have a crack at it? You're like, you haven't got the role, but you know, you can have auditions and you can try because like O'Shea Jackson Jr., you've got all, you've got the decades of experience and of of research and stuff so but in this in the ice cube thing he goes yeah sure and by the way here's acting classes here's his two years of you know dialect training and you can have all the best of everything to make you ready for this to make it work and that's what would happen to me if my dad's life was being turned into a movie and for some reason i wanted to play him he could be like he could if he's producing it he could do that it could be like here's all the right training here's Here's um, my memoirs and, you know, remember all those stories I told you? Use those. And, you know, I would feel like I had an unfair advantage, um, which I do sometimes now. Like, I have a lot of things now that I only have because my dad gave them to me because he worked his ass off to earn enough money to give it to make, give it for me. And I initially didn't want to <laughs> didn't want to take any handouts. I was already an adult. I didn't need it. It certainly helped me, but I didn't need it. So it took a taking a step back and removing some of my pride and and accepting that his drive for a lot of what gave him success was so that when he got it he could pass it back down to me and my brother and I, so I see a bit of a bit of that and it's something that I have struggled with but it certainly seems like O'Shea Jackson Jr. has enough of a close relationship with his dad that. He can take that and be like, thank you, you're helping me and we are creating something together that couldn't have happened if you hadn't busted your ass and if you hadn't been very talented. And now I can invest in myself in a way that you never could and you did it the hard way. Now, <laughs> I could do it the easy way. Now I'm talking about myself. I could do it the easy way, but I don't want to because it'd be the easy way and that feels less valuable. Um so yeah, <laughs> that is my answer to your question. Well, I think that's a perfect place to leave the episode. What about you, though? Oh, not really. Okay. Yeah, that, that, that's it. I, I, there's not much of uh, a straight out of Compton family-wise that, that that relates to me in in that way. Well, your dad's um, a your dad's a musician, right? 
the mean streets of Bridgewater or wherever it's from. Yes, yeah, no, he is he is a musician, but it's a very different type of music for a very different type of audience. Yeah. So uh, yeah, sure, because it's yeah, because you you said earlier about um, how punk and hip hop have a lot in common, and mm. but your your punk roots, if you can call them that, come from your stepdad, right? He was yes, he's the punk, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so the, yeah, that's that. And again, we grew up with uh, with with various bits of late eighties, early nineties hip hop as well. Um, like uh, the Goats were were a favorite over here, and uh, Beastie Boys, obviously. And, um, but that kind of post, it was always that kind of late eighties, uh, old school hip hop, rather than the early 90s dr dre more produced popular stuff so which is why i didn't kind of grow up with that so much with like the actual dre stuff because then it started moving into popular culture it was always uh, and lost some of that punk appeal like we were always kind of much more before that that's one of the one of the reasons i think the beastie boys managed to stay you know themselves for so long is that they didn't ever lose that initial sound um, and transition transition into something else um but yeah yeah there's there's nothing specifically about the about the movie or all the characters that, that speaks to me in that way i'm very interested to see the shia labeouf one next week and see how that talks to us because that will be our first real well i guess no we did the the loudon wainwright episode but one where we're looking at a father and son relationship that's more fraught and yeah and and more difficult so that should be a really interesting episode i think yeah me too i look forward to that now yeah cool well thank you very much everyone for listening i'm gonna throw my hands up in the air again for the outro talk with a smile yeah you got to you got to uh thank you very much everybody for listening to this episode uh, if you have any thoughts about Straight Out Compton or the awesome performances by O'Shea Jackson Jr. and the rest of the cast, any thoughts about Ice Cube, um, what was your first Ice Cube song? And was it... Put you back into it. I can't even remember the, the first bit now. Uh, you, you can, can do, do it. it. You can do it. Put you back into it. That's not a great introduction to Ice Cube and NWA in general, is it? No, no. It's, it's, no. it's, it's really not. That's like being yes, introduced you... to Stevie Wonder with I Just Called to Say I Love You. That's a good song. I know, but it's not superstition, is it? No, it's not. That's, that's true. <laughs> that's true. Well, thank you, everyone. And uh, we'll see you next week for some Shia LaBeouf goodness. Well, he could do with some goodness from what I've heard <laughs> in the news recently. Bye. <laughs> what a winning outro. <laughs> Bye.